Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello, my name is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is uh, August 7, 2010. I apologize for the late start. I had some technical issues with Blog Talk Radio. First, before I get into the Great White Throne Judgment, I must talk about a very significant event in United States history if this is allowed to go to the Supreme Court. I'm talking about, of course, the overruling of Proposition 8, which uh, will allow same-sex marriages in the state of California. And, you know, I was just talking to my wife today. You know, I'm 44 years old, and I remember when I was a young teenager or in my early 20s, and I never thought that I would be actually looking at CNN and looking at a reporter stating that maybe we've been all wrong about the institution of marriage. I mean, that, that, I mean that, that this is how mentally, I guess, uh, lost we have become collectively as a nation. I'm not saying all people. Um, agree that same-sex marriage is something that God approves of. It's just that the fact that there's a significant amount of people now are questioning that now. That, that's, that's Bible prophecy being fulfilled. And I'm going to go over again some basic scriptures that proves uh, without a shadow of a doubt in the New and Old Testament that God does not approve of um, two males or two females having sex with each other. Uh, that is something that in the beginning... God created a man and a female. He didn't create two men to have sex with each other. He, he, he did not create two women to have sex with each other. Now, God does not hate homosexuals, and neither do I. But we do not like what they're doing. And we really hope that they change and repent and realize that it's wrong. Not only are they harming themselves, but also harming the environment and other people. And uh, these scriptures will reveal that, particularly Leviticus 18, verse 22 to 30. So anyway, let's go to Genesis 19, Genesis chapter 19. I'm going to read this in a um, clear version, for clarity's sake. Uh, the 1965 Bible in basic English version, Genesis uh, chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It states here, and at nightfall the two angels came to Sodom. Uh, Genesis 19, verse 1. And at nightfall the two angels came to Sodom, and Lot was seated at the way into the town. And when he saw them, he got up and came before them, falling down on his face to the earth. And he said, My masters, come now into your servant's house and take your rest there for the night. 
and let your feet be washed, and early in the morning uh, you may go on your way. Now, Genesis chapter 18 explains the reason why these two angels came, because God wanted to know whether or not uh, uh, the abominations that he had heard about was accurate before he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So anyway, that's the background. Genesis chapter 19, verse 3, But he made his request more strongly, so they went with him into the house, and he got food ready for them and made unleavened bread, which is interesting, of which they took. Verse 4, But before they had gone to bed, the men of the town, all the men of Sodom, came around the house, young and old, from every part of the town, and crying out to Lot, they said, Where are the men who came to your house this night? Send them out to us so that we may take our pleasure with them. And if you look this word up in the original Hebrew, let me look in the King James Version here real quickly. And if you look up this word in the original Hebrew, um, let me find out where is that here. That word no in the, in the King James Version. It means to to really know, uh, to know almost um, in a sexual way. And other translations do translate this word that way. Uh, I know in the complete Jewish Bible version it says, we want to have sex with them. Uh, in, the, uh, in the ESV, English Standard Version, it says that we may know them. And the contemporary English uh version of the Bible so we can have sex with them. And a new American Standard Bible version. It says, bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Now, it's really proved in the context of the text that this is what they wanted to do because let's, let's read the rest of it. Some people just stop there and they, and they argue and try to eisegese and say, oh, that's not what they were talking about. They were talking about rape. But anyway, when you get to Genesis 19, verse 6, and Lot went out to them in the doorway shutting the door after them, and he said, my brothers, do not this evil. So what they were going to do was evil. We know that. Now, verse 8 is the proof of the pudding here. See now, I have two unmarried daughters. Okay? I have two unmarried daughters. I will send them out to you so that you may do to them whatever seems good to you. Only do nothing to these men, for this is why they have come under the shade of my roof. So they wanted to have sexual relations with the two angels. <laughs> Or, and, you know, angels, when they would manifest themselves, you, uh, well, I, I don't know any case in the Bible where they manifest themselves as women. So it, it's, it's as a man, which is a, a, a masculine, uh, masculine uh, appearance. So anyway, they were attracted to this masculine appearance, and they wanted to have sex with these two men. That is the context of this. Now, in verse 9, and they said, give way there. This one man, they said, came here from a strange country, and will he now be our judge? So they got upset, of course, like many people do today when someone tries to correct them. They don't like that. So anyway, now we will do worse to you than to them. And pushing violently against Lot, they came near to get the door broken in. So not only did they want to have sex with the two angels, they wanted to have sex with Lot. So verse 10, Genesis 19, but the men put out their hands and took Lot into the house of them, shutting the door again. Verse 11, but the men who were outside the door, they made blind, all of them, small and great, so that they were tired out with looking for the door. Verse 19 of Genesis chapter 19. Then the men said to Lot, Are there any others of your family here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, take them out of this place. For we are about to send destruction on this place, because a great outcry against them has come to the ears of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to put an end to the town. So I want you to understand that 
first of all, let's let's understand the sins of Sodom because sins of people assume that the sins of Sodom was just homosexuality. No, it wasn't. Let's let's turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Chapter sixteen. This gets God's definition of the sins of Sodom. Instead of listening to people that don't know what they're talking about. Um Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Truly, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Pride, a full measure of food, uh, and the comforts of wealth and peace were seen in her and her daughters, and she gave no help to the poor or to those in need. Verse 50 of Ezekiel chapter 16. They were full of pride and did what was disgusting to me, which includes the homosexuality. And so I took them away, as you have seen. So... That is the sense of Sodom. What made God take Sodom away and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah was the sin of homosexuality. And I want you to understand that because comparing today, as Yeshua did, he stated that in these end times, let's turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, beginning in... Verse 29, Luke 17, verse 29, and the uh, Bible and basic English version. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, and this is Jesus talking here, uh, Luke 17, verse 29, but on the day, Luke 17, verse 29, but on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire came down from heaven, or fire came down from heaven, and destruction came on them all. So he destroyed everyone. Now, he's comparing the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah to the end times today. Verse 30, so will it be in the day of the revelation of the Son of Man. On that day, if anyone is on the, on the roof of the house, and his goods are in the house, let him not go down and take them away, and let him who is in the field not go back to his house. He started, he's talking about the start of the Great Tribulation, which will be, tribal, which will be triggered rather by... Uh, the anti-Messiah, going into the temple of God and claiming that he is God. So this is what he's talking about, that the destruction will be similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. And also he mentioned uh, the days of Lot because conditions today will be similar as in the days of Lot, which is has the Sodom and Gomorrah uh, background. All right, so... Uh, Jesus Christ predicted that all the sins of Sodom, including homosexuality, would be very prevalent in this end time. And it is. And and this country, the United States, which I've proven over and over again throughout my broadcast, that the uh, United States is a part of the ten tribes of Israel. We're not Gentiles. We are part of the ten tribes of Israel. Uh, for proof of that, go to www.britam.org. That's B R I T as in time, am.org, uh, one of our characteristics, <laughs> that which is uh, found in Deuteronomy chapter 33, actually 32, which is the prophecy, uh, the uh, song of Moses uh, that God gave Moses to give to the people as a prophecy, says that we are Jezreel and we wax fat. And uh, I, I was just looking at a recent broadcast by CNN stating the fact that we, our obesity in this country this has gone off the, the charts basically our kids are fat we're fat i mean we we <laughs> that's one of the characteristics of, of uh, the tribes of israel that we're fat and not just the united states it's all of them you know uh, canada 
uh, the countries in Northwestern Europe, uh, Israel, the middle, uh, you know, Israel, it consists of mostly Jews, but the Jews are a part of the tribe of Judah. They are the tribe of Judah. And they're just one small tribe of all the 12 tribes of Israel. So anyway, you just go to that website. That website will reveal all this. And if you want to get his books, it's fine. I've gotten uh, a few of his books. And uh, Yair Davidi is the world-renowned expert in helping you understand how and why the United States and Britain and Canada and Australia and New Zealand and South Africa and the countries in Northwestern Europe are a part of the Ten Tribes of Israel, along with, of course, the little nation of Israel in the Middle East. So please go to that website. It's www.britam, B-R-I, B as in boy, R-I-T-A-M, as in mother, dot org. Okay, so we understand that we're living in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, and he stated that, now let's understand the story. What caused God to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Homosexuality. It's going to happen again, ladies and gentlemen, as we get further and further away from the institution of marriage, things will get worse for this country and for the world, for those who follow our example. And a lot of people follow our example in this country and what we do. So that, that's very important to understand as well. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, people say, well, Jesus Christ didn't say anything about marriage. He didn't say anything about that. Yes, he did. Okay, let's look at the Bible and stop believing what these so-called scholars, and I call them so-called scholars because if they were truly scholars, they would uh, tell you the truth about what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, uh, let me read this in the basic Bible English version. I just want to do everything here in clarity's sake. All right, Matthew 19, verse 1. And it came about that after saying these words, Jesus went away from Galilee and came into the parts of Judea on the other side of Jordan. And a great number went after him, and he made them well there. And certain Pharisees came to him, testing him and saying, Is it right for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So now we understand, first of all, that he's taught the context of this of these particular scriptures is marriage. Okay? A man to put away his wife. So it's no doubt, if you understand the English language, that this is talking about marriage. Okay? Uh, Matthew 19, verse 4, and he said in answer, Have you not seen in the writings, or in the Bible, that he who made them at the first made them male and female? Now, these are Jesus' words in red, if you have a King James Version that, that has his words in red. Okay, So he's telling the Pharisees, in the context of marriage, that he made man male and female. So, first of all, we have factual evidence and proof from Yeshua himself, Jesus. Uh, Yeshua is his Hebrew name for those who are listening to me for the first time. That in the beginning, mankind was made male and female. So mankind was not made male and male, nor was mankind made female and female. Okay? <laughs> no matter what these so-called experts tell you. All right? Now, Matthew 19, verse 5. For this cause will a man go away from his father and mother and be joined to his wife, marriage folks, and the two will become one flesh. So it doesn't say that two men become one flesh, and it doesn't say two women will become flesh. Jesus, is, Jesus, says, Jesus says that a man and a woman are joined and they become one flesh. That is the institution of marriage. All right? Matthew 19, verse 6. So they that are no longer two become one flesh. That's marriage again. 
then let not that which has been joined by God be parted by man. And that's a prophecy, ladies and gentlemen, because it is being parted by man. These, this judge who I heard perhaps may be gay made a ruling that, uh, so what, you know, so what? I'm going to just forget about 6,000 years, practically, of human existence and uh, that the fact that the majority of marriages have been between a male and a female. The fact that uh, without a male sperm or a female egg or ovum, a baby cannot be created. Okay, there's no way on earth that two sperms can create a human being and two ovum or the woman's egg can produce a human being. So that's a fact, ladies and gentlemen, that when two people are gay and they get married, they want to have kids, they can't have kids among each other. What, what do they have to do? They have to go back to the natural way of things. And if it's two men, they have to donate their sperm and, and a woman has to volunteer uh, their bodies to have that sperm be put in them so they can produce a child. And then if there's two women, if they want a child, then they have to do it the un, they have to do it, go back to doing it the natural way. <laughs> Even though it's unnatural for them to, to get married and they're both the same sex and then they want to have a child. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's just not thinking straight. But uh, So they want to, of course, uh, give their the, the ovum, their egg, so uh, and then a, a man has to contribute his sperm so they can produce a child. That's the unnatural way of doing things, ladies and gentlemen. Totally the unnatural way of doing things, and that's not the way God wants it to be done. And if anyone ever tells you that Jesus Christ did not address the marriage issue, that's a lie. In Matthew 19, verses 1 to 6, he did. And he played his stain. He, he stated, right now, play. He stated plainly that marriage is between a man and a woman. Becoming one flesh is a is a is a nickname or a Jewish slang or idiom to say that becoming one flesh is marriage. Okay, there's no way on earth anyone can ice Jesus. Well, they can. They can ice Jesus all they want, but it's pretty obvious, common sense. A, a, a six-year-old can understand this: that when a man is joined to a woman. Is a, is a relationship, is marriage. And this is what he addressed. Okay, so this is from Jesus' own mouth, that he did not state that marriage is between a man and a man and a female and a female. All right, in Isaiah chapter 3, it would be nice if somebody just got their Bible and just quoted this on CNN, you know, so people can be educated, but, you know, most people don't know what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 3 about these issues. Isaiah chapter 3, we are definitely suffering from biblical ignorance in this country. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 9, this is a prophecy for the end time. The show of their continents, their face, does witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. So, and that's what gays do. They, they go around and smile, act like it's okay what they're doing, and it's not. It's not. Uh, Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 18, and I'm telling this out of love for you, if anyone listening to me that's gay, I, you know, I don't condemn you, and, and God doesn't either, but he, he wants you to change, he wants you to, to realize what you're doing is wrong to yourself and to other people, as this scripture proves. Leviticus 18, starting in uh, verse 22, this is in the uh, Bible and Basic English Version. 
says you may not have sex relations with men as you do with women. It is a disgusting thing. Now, many people take this out of context and say that's not what he's talking about. Yes, it is. Leviticus 18, verse 23, and you may not have sex relations with a beast. Now, I think most people realize that's wrong, right? Making yourself unclean with it, and a woman may not give herself to a beast. It is an unnatural act. Verse 24, do not make yourself unclean in any of these ways, for so have those nations whom I am driving out from before you made themselves unclean. And see, this, you know, homosexuality is an old evil act, okay? Just like uh, prostitution. It doesn't make it right because it's old. And people try to compare the the battle for homosexuality with civil rights and, and interracial marriage. Well, I don't hear anyone say that interracial marriage is about a man and a woman getting married of, of a different uh, type of human race. It has nothing to do with two males and two females getting married. Then also uh, the civil rights movement, well, that that's only about what I opened my program up with uh, in Psalm 82 about justice. I mean, there's nothing wrong with fighting for those things. But to fight for something that God condemns in the Bible, God says, hey, don't do this. That is right to do. And verse 25, and the land itself has become unclean. So for you, for those who are homosexual, listen to me, and for those who aren't, uh, this is what the Bible says about uh, homosexuality and bestiality. What it does is make the land unclean. In the land or the environment that you're in, and, make, and the land itself has become unclean, so that I have sent on it the reward of his wrongdoing, and the land itself puts out those who are living in it. Verse 26, so then keep my rules and my decisions, and do not do any of these disgusting things. Those of you who are Israelites by birth, which we are, we are Israelites. Uh, I know that's maybe a, a shock to many of you listening to me, but we are the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel, or the 10 tribes of Israel or any others who are living with you. So that includes any others that are living, Gentiles. Verse 27, For all these disgusting things were done by the men of this country who were there before you, and the land has been made unclean. So, again, the land, the environment, will be made unclean by homosexuality. And not only the land, but also people's minds <laughs> will be made unclean. Seeing this, verse 28, So that the land may not put you out from it when you make it unclean as it put out the nations which were before you. Verse 29, for all those who do any of these disgusting things will be cut off from among the people. Verse 30, so then keep my orders so that you may not do any of these disgusting things which were done before you or make yourselves unclean through them. I am the Lord your God. So that's, that's what homosexuals do when they do this. They make themselves unclean. They make the land clean. They make the environment unclean. And so God has, has said that this is wrong to do, ladies and gentlemen. And this is God's word. I prove to you that Jesus Christ never approved and never will approve because he stays the same yesterday and today and forever, the institution of same-sex marriage. That's an abominable institution. It's, it's of the devil. And those that practice it must repent of that. So I just wanted to explain that plainly. And, of course, Romans chapter 1 goes into detail about that as well and I think even our president ISIG said that like that was not that that was uh, something that, that, was, that was confusing and it's pretty clear if you read it about what God is saying about homosexuality there. So anyway, um, let's let's recap what I spoke about leading into the Great White Throne Judgment, and you can uh, study this because um, I don't have time to go over it again. You can study this. Uh, the first Bible study I gave on this, uh, what happens after we die, is in the archives. Uh, you can listen to it after I get through today.
right, to recap, I explained that death consists of the separation of the spirit from the body. Righteous spirits, and those spirits that are righteous are people that uh, have obeyed God, and, and, and uh, God knows better than me who's righteous and who isn't, who isn't, okay? But anyway, the righteous, I do know, keeps God's commandments to the best of their ability based on what knowledge God has given them. The righteous spirits will go to God, and separate from their body, they will be in heaven until the time comes when the seven trump signs, when they will be put back into all new spiritual bodies that will never die and, and be immortal and, and just be spectacular looking, all right? Wicked spirits go to a place, and I know people, I know the Jews have called it Hades or, or whatever, but it's, it's some place that they go to, obvious. Uh, in Luke chapter 16, if you just take it, what it's saying, saying it's a parable, it's symbolic, it's not, it's literal, okay? You have to take it literal, and it's, and Luke chapter 16 talks about the parable of the rich man and, and, and uh, Lazarus is talking about a certain place of torment that involves some kind of flame. It's undeniable. You have to believe what the Bible says. And I go over this uh, in the uh, previous Bible study to this previous program. So uh, that's now. What about the spirits of people that didn't know any better, that weren't taught properly, um, aborted babies, uh, people that were retarded, uh, people that never heard of the, even the name of, of Yeshua? This is about two billion people on Earth right now that's never even heard of uh, Jesus. Uh, what about those people? Is God gonna not allow them to live? Of course not. Uh, those people will be given an opportunity. What about their spirits? Obviously, those spirits came back to God, or God has those spirits. I don't know where he's put them, but uh, those spirits will be given an opportunity. Uh, they will be resurrected. Uh, their bodies will be resurrected, and they'll be given an opportunity to know God, and that's what the Great White Throne Judgment is all about, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and I know it's been taught incorrectly that the Great White Throne Judgment is a judgment of all the damned. It's not. Uh, you have to read between the lines, and we will today. But first, I, I want to address the fact that there is a spirit world that exists, ladies and gentlemen, and and I just want to get to that, and then we'll get to the Great White Throne Judgment and uh, what the judgment is about, how long it will last, etc. First uh, Samuel, let's go to First Samuel. First Samuel, chapter twenty-eight. Now, I want you to understand something. The spirit is separate from the body. It's, it's, it's your essence. It's your life force, basically. All right? And, but the Bible indicates strongly that you're not complete unless your spirit is in your body. Okay? And even when you're resurrected, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 explains, you're going to be resurrected in a spiritual body. You're going to have a spiritual body like Christ. The spirit in the body makes you a complete being. So I just want to explain that. And then when, when there's... The descent, uh, the uh, the tragedy of death is that you're separated. Your body is separated from your spirit. Your life force is separated from your body. That's what death is. Okay, First uh, Samuel chapter twenty-eight, starting in verse eight. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went 
and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee, divine unto me a familiar spirit, and bring him up, whom I shall name unto thee. First Samuel 28, verse 8. And the woman said unto them, Behold, thou knowest what Saul has done. Now he has cut off those that have familiar spirits, and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? I'm reading this in the King James Version. And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Let me read this in the uh, other version here for clarity's sake here. First Samuel chapter twenty-eight. Okay, First Samuel twenty-eight verse eleven in the uh, Bible and Basic English version. Then the woman said, "Who am I to let you see?" And he said, "Make Saul come up for me." Verse twelve. And the woman saw that it was Saul. And she gave a loud cry and said to Saul, Why have you made use of deceit? For you are Saul. Verse 13, And the king said to her, Have no fear. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God. And that's a pretty good... Uh, <laughs> Let me see here. Let me look at this uh, translation here. And then in the King James Version, it states, um, it says, I saw gods or Elohims ascending out of the earth. Okay, so there's there's spirits that must dwell out of the earth or in the earth. Verse 14, he said unto her, What form is he of? And it's in the King James Version. And she said, An old man cometh up, and he covered, he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And let me get back to the um, Bible, basically, in this version here. Verse 15, and Samuel said to Saul, why have you made me come up, troubling my rest? Okay, so he was resting. I think in the King James Version it says, First uh, Samuel 28, verse 15. It says, why have you disquieted me? That word disquieted means to uh, trouble him, shake him, all right, uh, to bring him up. That, that means exactly what it means. And Saul, in answer, said, I am in great danger, for the Philistines are making war on me, and God has gone away from me and will no longer give me any answer by the prophets or dreams. So I have sent for you to make clear to me what I am to do. And Samuel said, Why do you put your questions to me, seeing that God has gone away from you and is on the side of him who is against you? And the Lord himself has done what I said. The Lord has taken the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not do what the Lord said, and did not give effect to his burning wrath against Amalek. So the Lord has done this thing to you today. And more than this, the Lord will give Israel up with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. So here we go. This is the realm of the dead, and he stated that Saul and his sons will be with him in the realm of the dead, obviously. And the Lord will give up the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Okay, so this is a very significant uh, passage of Scripture here because it proves that there is a spirit world, ladies and gentlemen. And then I'm going to use uh, the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is a, what I call a commentary of the Bible. It's a Jewish commentary because it was written by Jews. 
And sometimes it's really good to, to, to go by it because uh, it helps us understand certain scriptures as this, because people have their many different opinions about this, but it really means what it means here, and this only confirms it here in Sirach, or Ecclesiasticus, or Sirach, S-I-R-A-C-H, uh, chapter uh, 46, verses 19 to 20. And it says here in Sirach, chapter uh, 46, verses 19 to 20, Before the time of his eternal sleep, Samuel bore witness before the Lord and his anointed. No property, not so much as a pair of shoes, have I taken from anyone, and no one accused him. Verse 20 of Sirach, chapter 46. Even after he had fallen asleep, so even after he had fallen asleep, and he prophesied and made known to the king, who saw his death, and lifted up his voice from the ground in prophecy to blot out the wickedness of the people. So this Jew felt that it was Saul that actually spoke to him. So I just wanted to confirm that. Uh, from another source. Okay, so we know that there's a spirit world. We know that there's a spirit world. And in Isaiah chapter 49 reveals further what this spirit world is all about. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, starting in verse 9. Let me go back to... Samuel here. I just wanted to confirm something here. Okay. All right. Uh, we're returning here. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 9, states, The underworld is moved at your coming. The shades of the dead are awake before you, even the strong ones of the earth. All the kings of the world have got up from their seats. It's talking about the spirit realm here. They all make answer and say to you, Have you become feeble like us? Have you been made even as we are? Your pride has gone down into the underworld, and the noise of your instruments of music, the worms are under you, and your body is covered with them. How great is your... Okay, so this is a picture of what happens after death. You die, worms cover your body. But you're in also, your spirit is in the realm of the dead. And as Luke chapter 16 explains, if you're a wicked person, you go into, you suffer. You go into some place or you're in a status of suffering. It either is, well, it is a place because that's what Jesus indicated in the parable. It's a place where you go. Uh, if uh, you're a spirit where, you know, you, you did the best you could, you didn't know any better, uh, you were aborted. Uh, you were uh, retarded, uh, you never heard of Jesus Christ, you never heard of the Ten Commandments, never were taught, uh, you, you are definitely are, are going to be given a chance to learn the truth and learn uh, how, to, how to obey God. And that spirit obviously is not going to be in a place of torment uh, like the, the, the wicked spirits that knew better and still did not obey God. Of course, the righteous spirits go to a holding place in paradise or in heaven, separate from their bodies. Now, I just want to explain this because I don't. Most of Christianity believes that we have immortal souls, but there's a scripture in the Bible that says that the soul that sins it shall die. Uh, let's look at that here. It's in Ezekiel chapter 18. So we don't have immortal souls. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we don't have eternal life within us. 
All right, and that, that can be easily proven out the Bible. But the spirit is life. The spirit uh, exists. But having immortality means you have a body. See, and, and the spirit, when it leaves the body, it's just your your life force. It's not your 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 body. So I just wanted to explain that. I'm trying to find Ezekiel here. Yeah, it says in Ezekiel 18, verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine as the soul of the Father, so also the Son of the Son is mine. The soul that sins, it shall die. Okay, it shall die. And then as far as immortality, I must quote this scripture because people may still want to argue with me about that. Well, this one is definitely, uh, <laughs> if you want to argue with me about this, heaven help you. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. says, uh, well, actually starting in verse 14, 1 Timothy 6, verse 14, that thou keep the commandment without spot, un unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, colon, contained of all, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 16, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach, whom no man has seen nor can see to whom honor and power and everlasting amen. So those spirits of righteous men in heaven that's revealed in Hebrews chapter 12 are not immortal yet. Immortal means that you have a body that will never die. And he has a body. He was resurrected with a spiritual body. That's what makes him immortal. His body will never decay. He's immortal. He's complete. His spirit and his body is merged together. His life force is within his body, which is a spiritual body. Okay, so I just wanted to clarify that. And in First uh, Corinthians, let's go over this. First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse thirty-five to fifty-six is very important that I go over this in the forty-two minutes that I have here. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Starting at verse thirty-five. Reading this again in the Bible and Basic English Version, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. But someone will say, how do the dead come back? And what sort of body do they come? Very good question. We're about to find out the answer to that. Verse 36. Foolish man, it is necessary for the seed which you put into the earth to undergo death in order that it may come to life again. Verse 37. And when you put it into the earth, you do not put it in the body which it will be, do not put it in the body which it will be, but only the seed of grain or some sort of plant. But God gives it a body as it is pleasing to him, and to every seed is special body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another of beasts, another of birds, another of fishes. And there are bodies of heaven and bodies of earth, but the glory of one is different from that of the other. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. The glory of one star is different from that of another. So it is with the coming back from the dead. It is planted in death, it comes again in life. It is planted in shame, it comes again in glory. Feeble when it is planted, it comes again in power. Verse 44, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It is planted a natural body. It comes again as a body of the spirit. If there is a natural body, there is equally a body of the spirit. And that's the kind of body that Jesus has right now as I'm speaking. 
verse 45. And so it is said, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. So that's what we're going to be. We're going to be life-giving spirits in the future. Verse 46, but that which is natural comes before that which is of the spirit. The first man is from the earth and of the earth. The second man is from heaven. Verse 48, those who are of the earth are like the man who was from the earth, and those who are of heaven are like the one from heaven. So we're going to be like the man from heaven, which is Yeshua, or Jesus. Verse 49, and in the same way as we have taken on us the image of the man from the earth, so we will take on us the image of the one from heaven. Do you realize what this is saying, ladies and gentlemen? It says that we're going to look like God. We're going to look like him, literally. Verse 50, now I say this, my brothers, that it is not possible for flesh and blood to have a part in the kingdom of God, and death may not have a part in life. Verse 51. See, I am giving you the revelation of a secret. We will not all come to sleep of death, but we will all be changed. And talking about the resurrection of the dead, that will happen at the, um, the last trump, which is revealed in the uh, book of Revelation. I did have a Bible study on that. I implore and encourage you to, to listen to it. It's called... Uh, uh, the, the seven trump, what happens at the seven trump. And it talks about, uh, in verse 51, See, I am giving you the revelation of a secret. We will not all come to sleep of death, but we all be changed. Verse 52, In a, in a second, in the shutting of an eye, at the sound of the last horn or trumpet, for at, the sound, for at that sound the dead will come again, free forever from the power of death, and we will be changed. For this body which comes to destruction will be made free from the power of death, and the man who is under the power of death will be put will put on eternal life. All right, so that is what is going to happen to righteous people and those people who um, those people who uh, obey God. That's what I'm trying to say, basically. So that that that's what's going to happen in the future, ladies and gentlemen. Having some technical issues here. With uh, Blog Talk Radio, hopefully I can get through here with, uh, yeah, everything is okay here. All right. Um, all right, I read that to you, and, well, actually, I wanted to read the rest. I, I love these scriptures here. It says uh, in verse 53 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But his body which comes to destruction will be made free from the power of death, and the man who is under the power of death will be put on the man who is under the power of death will put on eternal life. Verse fifty four. But when this has taken place, then that which was said in the writings will come true. Death is overcome by life. Verse fifty five of first Corinthians chapter fifteen. O death, where is your power, O death? Where are your pains? Verse fifty six, the pain of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Okay. All right, so right now, ladies and gentlemen, we are all being judged. John chapter 12, John chapter 12, beginning in verse 31. It says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now should a prince of this world be cast out with another name for the devil. And in Romans 2, verses 5 to 16, Romans 2, Verses 5 to 16 states this. And we are conscious that God is a true judge against those who do such things. But you are, in verse 3, but you who are judging another for doing what you do yourself, are you hoping 
and that's true. Many people that judge other people actually do the same thing themselves. Verse 3, but you who are judging another for doing what you do yourself, are you hoping that God's decision will not affect against you? Verse 4, is it nothing to you that God had pity on you, waiting and putting up with you for so long, not seeing that in his pity God's desire is to give you a change of heart? Verse 5, but by your hard and unchanged heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of the revelation of God's judging and righteousness. Verse 6, who will give to every man his right reward. Verse 7, to those who go on with good works in the hope of glory and honor and salvation from death, he will give eternal life. Verse 8, but to those who, from a love of competition, are not guided by what is true, will come the heat of his wrath. Verse 9, trouble and sorrow in all whose works are evil to the Jew first and then to the Greek or Gentile. Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to all those or to all whose works are good to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Verse 11, for one man is not different from another before God. In other words, he's not impartial. Verse 12, all those who have done wrong without the law will get destruction without the law. So these are people that didn't know any better, but they're going to get destruction, it says, without the law. And those who have done wrong under the law, uh, in other words, they are obeying the law, they understand the law, will have their punishment by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who will be judged as having righteousness before God, but only the doers. But when the Gentiles without the law have a natural desire to do the things in the law, so uh, I know people today don't understand that they should keep the Sabbath or the holy days. What it's saying is that when Gentiles are in that state, they're without the law to understand how to obey God's law. But God has put in each and every human being a natural desire to do the things in the law. They are a law to themselves. Because the work of the law is seen in their hearts, their sense of right and wrong giving witness to it, while their minds are at one time judging them, and another giving them approval. Verse 16, In the day when God will be a judge of the secrets of men, and it says in the good news of which I am a preacher through Jesus Christ. So God's going to know, ladies and gentlemen, what's in everyone's mind, and people, we all will be judged by what we know. We will all be judged by what we know. And let's turn to Luke chapter 12 again to understand how we're going to be punished for what we know. Luke 12 starting in verse 47. And the servant who had knowledge of his Lord's desires and was not ready for him and did not do as he was ordained, he would be given a great number of blows. Now, in verse 48, but he who without knowledge did things for which punishment is given will get only a small number of blows. The man to whom much is given will have to give, will have to give much. If much is given into his care, of him will be more requested. So the man to whom much is given will have to give much. If much is given into his care of him, more will be requested. All right, so that is fair. That is fair, according to God. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, or 4, rather. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Beginning in verse 12. I'm still in the uh, Bible in basic English version. It says, Dear brothers, do not be surprised as if something strange, as if was something strange. Well, let me go over again. First Peter 4, verse 12. Dear brothers, do not be surprised. Dear brothers, do not be surprised as if it was something strange if your faith is tested as by fire. Verse 13. First Peter chapter 4, But be glad that you are given a part 
of the pains of Christ, so that at the revelation of his glory you may have great joy. Verse 14, if men say evil things of you because of the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God is resting on you. Verse 15, let no one among you undergo punishment as a taker of life, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as one who is over-interested in other men's business. But if he undergoes punishment as a Christian, that is no shame to him. Let him give glory to God in his name. Verse 17, this is the scripture I wanted to allude to, but I wanted to read it to you in the context. For the time has come for the judging, starting with the church of God. So already, uh, I already read in scripture that the time for judging is now. It started in the first century when Christ is on the earth. It says, for the time has come for the judging, starting with the church of God. So it starts with people like myself who are of the assembly of God. But if it makes a start with us, what will be the end of those who are not under the rule of God? So in verse 18, and if it is hard for even a good man to get salvation, what chance has a man without religion or the sinner? For this reason, let those who by the purpose of God undergo punishment keep on in well-doing and put their souls into the safe hands of their maker. So, you know, judgment has already begun, but it starts with those of us, uh, those who are keeping the entire law of God to the best of their ability. And in James in particular, since I'm a Torah teacher, and I didn't raise my hand up and say, Father, I want to be a Torah teacher. It just so happened that he gave me these abilities, and I'm using them to the best of my abilities. James 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters or teachers, uh, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. So I, I'm very careful about what I teach, and uh, I know that I'm going to be judged uh, <laughs> pretty severely if I don't teach correctly, so I, I try to do the best I can. In Romans chapter 10 starting in, in verse uh, 12, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, rather. It says, But how will they give worship to him in whom they have no faith? And how will they have faith in him of whom they have not had news? And how will they have news without a preacher? And how will there be preachers if they are not seen? As it is said, how beautiful are the feet of those who give the glad news of good things. As I told you, currently there's uh, around two billion people, two billion people for be that have never heard of the gospel. Are, are, is God going to get rid of them? Of course not. I mean, of course not. Just wanted to quote that scripture to you. And then Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten. Second Corinthians five, verse ten says, "For we all have to come before Christ to be judged." so that every one of us may get his reward for the things done in the body, good or bad. So we're all going to have to appear before Christ's judgment seat, ladies and gentlemen. We're appearing, those who are keeping God's commandments and, and the Sabbath, holy days, and so forth, and really following Christ's example, we're going to be judged. Uh, we're being judged spiritually right now, and then, uh, whether it's in heaven or on the earth, we're going to be judged and we're going to receive our rewards. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 states the fact that even angels will be judged. And they're going to be judged by uh, the saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Is it not certain? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Is it not certain that the saints will be the judges of this world? So we're going to be the judges of this world. If then the world will be judged by you, are you unable to give a decision about the smallest things? And verse 3. Is it not certain that we are to be the judges of angels? 
how much more then are the things of this life. So we're going to be the judges of angels. That's a pretty interesting Bible study in itself. Now, let's get to, in the final 29 minutes that I have here, let's get to what happens after the thousand years. What, what happens after the thousand years? First, let's understand, um, well, let's read that passage of Scripture in Revelation 20, verse uh, 7 to 15. Revelation chapter 20, verse uh, 7 to 15. So this is after the millennium. It says, And when a thousand years are expired, in Revelation 20, verse 7, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to put, deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is at the sand of the sea. And he went up on the breast of the earth and compassed the camp, or the uh, army of the saints, and the beloved city, which is Jerusalem, of course, and fire came down out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. That word are was added there, so I'm not going to read that, because it confuses people. When the beast and, where the beast and false prophet, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, and whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell uh, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell, or Hades, the realm of the dead, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So as you can see here, this great white throne judgment, some people are going to be judged righteous and they will enter the kingdom of God. So this is not a judgment of all the damned, despite what some religious teachers teach you. Uh, Acts chapter 17, or I've taught you, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, verse 29 and 31 states this. Acts seventeen twenty nine and 31. It says, For as much then as we, I'm back in the King James Version, as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Verse 30, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Verse 31, Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained as Jesus. Whereas he has given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead. Okay, so in verse 30 is the key verse here to all this. It says, And at times of this ignorance God winked at. So he overlooked it. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Now, my question to you is that if he overlooked all the ignorance up to, into the first century, when, when Christ was on the earth and died and was resurrected, then... What's going to happen to those people that he ignored their ignorance? Well, of course, they're going to be given an opportunity during the great white throne judgment to learn the truth of God. That's his common sense. If he, it says right here in verse 30, and at the times of this ignorance God overlooked or winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So from, from the first century on, he commands everyone to repent. But prior to that, he didn't. Now, the people that didn't repent, of course, 
and, and weren't commanded to repent are definitely going to be given an opportunity because he's a fair God. Now, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Proves that there will be a resurrection of uh, people that were considered wicked but didn't know any better. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 12. says, But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto Chazakorazin, woe unto the Asadia, for if the mighty works have been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented. They would have repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. It's talking about the great white throne judgment. So, in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 22, says, But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at that day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted into heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. Verse 24, But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. So he's prophesying that um, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah would be resurrected and judged and, and given an opportunity to uh, understand the true ways of God. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. See, they weren't given an opportunity to repent. He's going to give them an opportunity in the future. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 31 to 32. says, The queen, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation, his generation, and condemn them. For she came, so he's, prophesying that the queen of the south shall, shall uh, be resurrected. It says, The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He was talking about himself, of course. Verse 32, Then men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation. Now, you know who the, the, the Ninevites were, right? Uh, they, rep uh, they fasted, and, and, and they beseeched God not to destroy them, and he didn't. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So he's telling you that uh, the people of Nineveh will be resurrected, the people of Sodom will be resurrected, the queen of the south should be resurrected. So that's talking about the great white throne judgment, ladies and gentlemen. And Second Peter chapter 3 states the following here. Time I have left twenty two minutes, all right. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three verse nine states the following. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering, he's patient to us, not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anyone to die but that all should come to repentance. He would love for everyone to come to repentance. But obviously it doesn't appear that that's going to be the case. First uh, Timothy chapter 2. Some people just hard-headed and just want to do their thing. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved. So his desire is to have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. That's a pretty interesting verse there. 
and he desires for all, all of mankind, all of mankind to be saved. So, as I was stating, aborted babies, retarded human beings, people that were never taught the truth about the God of the Bible and his laws will, will be given their first chance to understand. That's what the great white throne judgment is all about. And during the millennium, and uh, I, I talked about this in my prior Bible study, uh, two things are going to be occurring. Um, uh, one of the things that will be occurring, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, starting in verse 23. It states, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh, all of mankind, come to worship before me, says the Lord. I uh, just had a conversation with somebody that I'd rather not state, but... <laughs> Uh, I was trying to state the fact that there are there's some significant scriptures that prove that all of mankind will be keeping the Sabbath, and this is one of the one of the scriptures here. Uh, and then Christ said in Matthew or Mark chapter two verse twenty seven that the Sabbath was created for man for all of mankind. But this proves in here that all of mankind will be keeping the Sabbath, and as I explained, uh, they they will be not worshiping the new moon. I said worshiping, but they will be acknowledging the new moon so they can keep. The holy days of God. So whenever you see new moon, the holy days have something to do with it. From one new moon to another and from one, the holy days, listen to Leviticus chapter 23, from one new moon to another and one Shabbat or Sabbath to another shall all flesh, not just the Jews, but everyone, come to worship before me, says the Lord. Now verse 24, this is a key scripture, and they shall go forth and look upon the bodies or carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, colon, for their worm shall not die, I mean the worm that gets on their body and consumes their body, Neither shall their fire be quenched. So it says the worm won't die. It doesn't say their bodies won't die, but the, the worm shall not die. It says neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring to all flesh. So this is going to be a, a regular occurrence throughout the millennium to teach people that they shouldn't sin, and this is what's going to happen to you if you just totally keep on sinning where I have to destroy you. All right, uh, Isaiah chapter 65, starting in verse 20, it says there shall be no more... Hence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. So if there's still sinning going on, then obviously this is the millennium. Because after the millennium, as I'm going to prove to you, God is going to get rid of, he's going to destroy death. After the great white throne judgment, he's going to destroy death. There will be no longer death, meaning there will no, no longer be any sin. So, and during this particular period of time, of course, if the unrighteous spirits died, the wicked died, their spirits would be tormented obviously in a place of torment until they are resurrected uh, during the great white throne judgment and, of course, judged guilty and be tossed in the lake of fire. That's, that's what's going to happen. This will happen even in uh, during the millennium when people die and they're wicked. Their spirits will go into this place of torment until God is ready for them to be resurrected and judged, and then they will be totally tossed in the lake of fire and be destroyed. That's what the Bible indicates. Um... 17 minutes left here. Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29. So that should put the fear, I know it puts in the fear in me because I don't want to die and be in a place of torment until he comes back. 
and then be resurrected and judged guilty and been thrown in a lake of fire. I mean, that, that's what obviously is going to be happening, ladies and gentlemen. So that's what the scriptures indicate. Isaiah chapter 29, starting in verse 18, if you're wicked. Of course, if you're righteous, you, you get a chance to be in God's throne room in heaven, and then when the resurrection occurs, uh, that your spirit essence, your life force, will be put back into a spiritual body, and you'll be resurrected on the earth. Isaiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 18. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. And this is talking about the great white throne judgment, period. The meek also shall increase their joy in the, in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off. That make a man an offer for offender for a word. Let me read this in the uh, basic Bible, English version, for clarity's sake here. Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 18. It says, And in that day those whose ears are stopped will be hearing, and also deaf people uh, and blind people. If, if they're deaf and blind, a lot of those folks have a difficult time even understanding God's words. Are they going to uh, be cursed and thrown in a lake of fire? Of course not. They're going to be given an opportunity. This proves it. Isaiah 29, verse 18. And in that day those whose ears are stopped will be hearing the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind will see through the mist and in the dark. also indicates those who are spiritually blind as well. Verse 19, And the poor will have their joy in the, in the Lord increase, and those in need will be glad in the Holy One of Israel. For the cruel one has come to nothing, and those who make sport of the Lord are gone, and those who are watching to do evil are cut off. Verse 21, Who give help to a man in a wrong cause, and who put a net for the feet of him who gives decision in the public place, taking away a man's right without cause. Verse 22, for this reason the Lord, the Savior of Abraham, says about the family of Jacob, Jacob will not now be put to shame or his face be clouded with fear. Verse 23, but when they, the children of Jacob, which is all the tribes of Israel, which the United States is included, see the work of my hands among them, they will give honor to my name. Yes, they will give honor to the Holy One of Jacob and go in fear of the God of Israel. Now this is the key verse, verse 24. Those whose hearts were turned away from him will get knowledge, and those who made an outcry against him will give attention to his teaching. So this again is alluding to the uh, great white throne judgment. Now, a key significant scripture that we must analyze here, uh, Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1 to 5, read this in the King James Version, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Well, before we even get to that part, let's realize in verse 14 this. Revelation 20, verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. I'm going to repeat this two other times, okay? And death and hell, which is the realm of the dead, okay, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Again, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Fire is for destruction. And that's what's occurring here. This is the second death. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So death 
and hell, the realm of the dead, the spirit world of wicked spirits, were cast in the lake of fire. They were destroyed. Now, how do I know that? Well, I'm going uh, to read this in Revelation chapter 21, and you'll see. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. They were passed away. It was no longer the first earth and the first heaven with the lake of fire, with hell and death, passed away again. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, meaning that it no longer existed. So the first earth and the first heaven that had the lake of fire and death and hell no longer existed, ladies and gentlemen. That's what your Bible states. Okay? So we have to go by what the Bible says, not what some preacher tells you. And only believe what a preacher is telling you when they are correct. Okay? So it's gone. The first heaven and first earth does no longer exist, according to God's words here. Verse 2, and I, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, and this is God the Father talking here, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now, let's notice what he's saying here. There shall be no more death. So death no longer exists in the new heaven and new earth. Neither sorrow, no pain, neither uh, neither sorrow, no crying, neither shall there be any more pain or torment. So no more torment in this new heaven and new earth. Again, Revelation 21, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Colon, continued adult, for the former things are passed away. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. The lake of fire is gone. Death is gone. And hell, or the realm of the dead, is gone. The domain of wicked spirits, of wicked spirits, is gone, destroyed. That's what your Bible says, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, I'm trying to emphasize this because I want to tell you that the torment that these wicked spirits right now are going through will not last for eternity because there will be no pain in the new heaven and the new earth and the former things will be passed away. Again, there will be no pain in the new heaven and the new earth, and the former things will be passed away. The lake of fire, death, and the world of the dead, the place of torment, are part of the former things. This proves that forever, when you see forever in the uh, New Testament here, and particularly in the book of Revelation, it must mean until the passing away of the current world after the great white throne judgment. That's the only possible explanation for that, unless there's a mistranslation, which I don't think there is. All right, so when you turn to Jude, Jude, Jude kind of explains this a little more in detail here about what's going to happen to the wicked and what they're going to be experiencing. Jude chapter 7, it says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, which was angel's flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And let's stop here. When people see eternal, they think that that means forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I don't blame them. You know, I used to think that. But when you look in this context, it's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah 
they suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. It says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange treasures, set forth an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So Jude, the brother of Jesus, is associating Sodom and Gomorrah with eternal fire. Now let me ask you a question. Is Sodom and Gomorrah still burning today? Of course not. All right, so let, let's, let's, let's just understand here how we can understand when it says uh, tormented day, day and night forever and ever, okay? Uh, in verse 8 of Jude, it says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, the body of Moses, not Moses, but his body, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but says, The Lord rebuked thee. Verse 10, But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe or danger unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Cain was jealous. He committed the first murder. And he said, I am my brother's keeper. Uh, and then ran greedily at the heir of Balaam for reward. Balaam was a false prophet. Now, well, in his case, he did prophesy correctly, but he was a false prophet because he was a wicked man and he wanted to prophesy for money. And many, unfortunately, ministers today do that. They do that. And perish in the gainsaying of Korah. And Korah wanted to, uh, he wanted to be the boss. He wanted to, to be the authority that Moses was. Okay? So those are three great sins that he talks about in the context of uh, hellfire here. Verse 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, cared about winds, trees without fruit, wherewith without fruit twice dead. And, you know, people say, well, that's not referring to the second death. Well, I don't know what dying twice refers to. I mean, <laughs> it does refer to the second death, ladies and gentlemen. Plucked up by the roots, meaning that there's nothing left of them. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of death forever. Okay? So you see the word forever there, and darkness forever. All right? So eternal fire is in the context of blackness forever. Obviously, ladies and gentlemen, when... The time comes when the wicked are going to be resurrected and judged. They are, going to be, they are going to be destroyed in the lake of fire. And I've just read to you the scriptures that confirm that. When, they, when you see the word forever in, in, in the book of Revelation, it's referring to the ages of the ages. That's what it's referring to. And Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, proves to you that it has to be talking about the first heaven and the first earth. So it looks like this torment is going to continue on until the first heaven and the first earth are destroyed during the great white throne judgment, after the great white throne judgment. That has to be the biblical understanding of that. There's no other way to understand that when you look at all the other scriptures. Uh, Jonah. And then as far as forever is concerned, let's understand that and what that means. Jonah. Chapter 2, verse 6. Let's get the Bible interpretation. Whenever, whenever you see forever, it doesn't always mean forever. John two, uh, Jonah 2, verse 6. It says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth was her bars. Okay. Jonah 2, verse 6 says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet has thou brought up my life from corruption. So we know that Jonah was not in the, in the well forever, yet he said he was there forever okay so I, i'm just showing you that forever does not always mean forever um in the bible and you look up that word forever there in that context it says very very it could indicate for a very long time in the original hebrew exodus chapter 21 
verse 6 states, Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. That's another case the word forever is used. But we know that how can someone serve somebody forever? Because they die, right? So again, we got we have to read between the lines here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Isaiah chapter 34. I want to show another scripture here. I have the time here. There's uh, four minutes left. Isaiah chapter 34. Beginning in verse 8. States this. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch and the dust thereof into brimstone. And the land therefore shall become burning pitch. And it shall not be quenched night nor day, the smoke thereof shall go up forever. Here we go again, forever. That has to mean for a long time until the age, until the end of the age, the end of the first heaven and the first earth, the end of the first heaven and the first earth. From generation to generation, it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. So here we go again. Uh, of course, no one will pass through it because it's going to be totally destroyed, and uh, there will be nothing left of it again. You know, so. Um, that's very important to understand, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the word forever does not always mean forever in certain contexts. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 22. It's another scripture about this. It says, But Hannah went up, not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and thereby forever. So, again, we know that uh, Samuel is not abiding with the Lord forever and in his physical form anyway. Um, and his spirit right now is in, in heaven, but he's not, again, this is in the context of him dwelling forever on the earth, and he's not doing that right now. So so I just wanted to explain that. So hopefully we understand this uh, in the remaining three minutes. Let me summarize everything. Uh, the great white throne judgment consists of those people. Uh, it, it, concerns of, it, it consists of people who uh, were, were aborted babies, uh, those who were had some kind of physical affliction where they could not understand the Word of God, uh, those people who were taught incorrectly, never heard of uh, Jesus before, those people who were rebellious but not so rebellious that God does not judge them guilty, okay? And, and of course, the great right throne judgment consists of, of, of the wicked, too. They are, the wicked will be resurrected, and they will all be judged. And Revelation chapter 20 reveals those that... Uh, through the judgment period, those that are found to be righteous, uh, because they're going to be judged by the books, and of course, uh, those books will be part of those books will be God's law. They will be judged by those books, and those who will be deemed righteous by the judgment. We don't know how long the judgment is going to take, but they will be judged, and those that obey God will be allowed to be entered into the kingdom of God. They will be changed into uh, the spirit, and they'll be they'll have spirit bodies. And those that will, those that uh, decide not to obey God, will be thrown in the lake of fire, along with those who are already condemned anyway through their works that the wicked. And they will all be resurrected. The righteous will go into the kingdom. They will have spirit bodies and live forever with God. The righteous will uh, be resurrected physically, and they will be judged also with the righteous. But they will be uh, judged guilty, and they will be thrown in the lake of fire. And it will be totally destroyed. Their, their bodies will be destroyed. Everything about them will be destroyed. The reason why I say that is because in Revelation chapter 21, 
verses 1 to 5, God states that the first heaven and the first earth will no longer exist. That means the lake of fire won't exist, death won't exist, and the wicked spirits won't exist, including the devil. That's what your Bible states. Okay, so that that is the truth of the great white throne judgment, ladies and gentlemen. And, and I hope that you understand that God is fair and that he's not going to just totally annihilate everyone. Uh, like I said, currently right now, two billion people on the earth aren't Christians because they haven't even heard of uh, Yeshua or Jesus Christ being the Messiah. So anyway, um, may God bless you and keep you, and I will speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.